Some days are terrible, you wish that you were dead And some days are magical, like grape banana bread Someday we'll be friends with the voices in our heads The voices in our heads Hello everybody, congratulations on not taking your own life this past week I'm Christina Marie Hutchinson and this is The Voices in Our Heads I'm so honored to be the voice in your head I got my hair straight. You can't see it, but if I'm gonna if I clip it up, you will see it. Uh, but just know it looks real sexy. Sexy like the men in Greenpoint. What are they getting fed? The men in Greenpoint are so hot. Every time I drive, I almost like hit people because I'm just rubbernecking. And I don't do that because I'm a woman, you know, who's attracted to men. We don't get a lot of opportunities to be blown away by a man's looks, us straight ladies, you know? It doesn't happen that often, but there are women in this town because it's New York City. They're the hot, hottest women in the game are, are, are walking around. Sometimes I'll be walking on the sidewalk and I'll be doing errands and I'll see a woman so beautiful. I'll just start following her home. I'm just like, where are you going? You're pretty. Can I come with you? And I'm like, what am I doing? What are you doing? Um, so that was really nice. I like driving through Greenpoint. I do and I don't because it's, it's kind of hard. Like, you know, you're not supposed to be looking at hotties while you're driving or texting because Oprah will kill you. Um, something cool happens to me. I always talk about, you know, the afterlife and how death isn't real, even though, you know, our bodies die, which is kind of nice, you know, because life is stupid. <laughs> but we're all going to die. And then we'll come back. Oh, God, that's annoying. Uh, But hopefully when we come back, it'll be better. It won't, but, you know, it'll be cool when we die because apparently dying feels good. Um, But I got to deliver somebody's sign. Uh, So so this girl DM'd me. I'm obsessed with Laurel and Jackson. You probably already know that. She's a psychic medium. She has two books. One's called Signs. One's called The Light Between Us. And she always talks about, you know, when a loved one dies or a pet, uh, ask for a sign from them, like really specific and you'll get it at some point, not immediately, but you eventually will. And you'll be kind of blown away by it. And this really like deep form of love that persists after the person is not physically here. And so she, this girl DM'd me, I'm going to read it. She says, Hey, I have an afterlife story slash finding signs. I wanted to share with you. My dog passed away after having him for 13 plus years in August. (laughs) Which makes me want to cry because then I think about Kevin dying and he's never going to die. He's going to live forever. He was my everything. I got him when I was 18. He saw a lot of life with me. When I was ready, I started asking for signs and I knew it had to be something weird and kind of funny. I asked him to show me a pink alien. I'll show you what I've gotten so far in less than a few weeks. So she showed me this picture of a stuffed uh, stuffed animal. It was an alien. It was pink. And then as I was reading that, I was holding my wallet, and this is, again, you're only going to see this in the video, but my wallet has pink aliens on it. So I text, I've text, I DM'd her a picture and I was like, well, shit, girl, sign number fucking two. I just bought this wallet and I have it in my hand as I'm reading your message and it's got a pink alien on it. What? That's crazy. Also, I keep watching near-death experience videos. I do it every morning instead of watching the news because fuck the news. It's really sad and bad and I can't do anything about it. And everyone's just yelling at each other and it's really stressful and it reminds me of my childhood. So I just watch near-death experience videos on YouTube and there's there's really powerful advice on these things, guys. Like these people, we have a lot to learn from them, okay? I'm telling you, don't sleep on these near-death experience videos. Just look up NDE. That's all you gotta do. Type in YouTube, look up NDE. There's a bunch of different production companies that put out hundreds of videos. I've watched 
hundreds of these things. And there was a woman who died during uh, an MRI, the fucking tech that was doing the MRI. She fucked up her spine because the man she was with at the time abused her, was physically and emotionally abusive. And he did something to her that uh, fractured, possibly messed up a disc in her spine. So they had to do some uh, something where they gave her dye and they had to turn her right side up or upside down. One of those. Uh, I'm not a doctor. And uh, so that they could see if there was any interruption in the vertebrae of her spine. And the tech, the MRI tech, was pressing the wrong button and turned her the wrong way. And apparently this procedure was a type of procedure that she wasn't knocked out for it. But if she moved, they told her, if you move during the MRI, it's possible that you could have like really bad headaches for like a year or the rest of your life. Like it's really imperative that you sit still. So obviously the direction that she was going to be put in, in this machine was important to get right. And this tech person, it was a man, not that that matters, but I just like to say that because it was a man. Um, and he did it wrong and she she went out of her body right away. And uh, she had two children at the time, a five-month-old and a two-year-old, something like that. And this guy, she was telling us stories about the, the type of abuse she was experiencing. And it was bad. It was one of the, It was one of those stories that you're like, oh, girl, if you stay, he gonna kill you. Like, you, like, whoa. And so she died. She was like, wait, this is awesome. This is way better than over there. And they're like, mm-hmm, it is. Um, and, but she had this feeling because almost nobody in these near-death experience videos wanted to go back to earth. They were like, wait, this is better. I want to stay here. Even if they were, they had just fallen in love or they just got the job of their dreams or they just had a baby and their life was perfect, they didn't want to come back. And I was like, well, that says something. You know, that's why I say congrats on not killing yourself because it ain't easy being on earth. But uh, she talked about, you know, she was shown the abuse and she was like, I need to go back. I can't leave this my life because my kids are going to get abused if I leave them with him. And the where her spirit guides or whoever the hell she talked to was like, yeah, basically. And she was shown all these scenarios, like a, like a slideshow of his abuse towards her. And her the whole time in this relationship, she was like, how do I get him to change? How do I get him to change if I treat him this way? If I act this way, will he be different? Because he had this cycle that a lot of abusive partners have where they'll hit you or they'll call you a fat cunt and then they'll apologize. So it's like this addictive cycle that they get in and you want to believe that the apology is true and then it happens again. So you get in this addictive loop with that person. And she said something very wise. She goes, this whole time I was trying to change him and then it dawned on me when I was talking to my spirit guides, when I was fucking dead, that I was the one who needed to change, not him. And I was like, God damn, that's some fucking wisdom, huh? And then she left him and then met like this guy that she's obsessed with and they've been married for 30 years. NDEs, baby. I mean, we don't got a lot of good examples on uh, of how to live and how to behave and how to act on earth. Hardly any, okay? And the good ones are not loud because the bad ones are so obnoxious. So it's like the airwaves are a little crowded. So that's why I'm saying you got to get your got to get your got to get your wisdom from these near death experience videos, guys. Oh, fucking oh, you spill coffee. Okay, what else do I want to say? Um oh, <laughs> oh my god. I was like, do I talk about it? Yeah, I want to talk about it. So, for Halloween, I was a fucking whore, okay? I was a Halloween whore. I saw, I bought Corinne a birthday present at this store and I saw a one piece that looked like it had circuit. It was a see-through black one piece long sleeve 
uh, suit, like jumpsuit, whatever. Not jumpsuit. It was it was skin tight, and it was see through. But there were like it looked like a circuit board. Um, there was like black felt on it all across the bodysuit that were that that looked like a circuit board pattern. And I wore cute little black undies and a black lace bra. And I look. It was this. It was my sexiest Halloween costume ever. Okay, ever. And I put it on, and I was like, God damn. I look great. And then I came out in the living room and I, my boyfriend was on the couch and he was like, wait, let's do it real quick. And I was like, yes, this is the best costume of my life. Um, so I was so happy. I was so happy. And I was, and I'm finally at a point where I don't care. I'll let the titties out now. I don't, I used to care. I'm used to like, don't look at me. I don't want you to, Ugh, that's gone. Thank God. Cause it's so exhausting, you know? And you gotta, you got a cute body. You want to show it off. You want to fucking enjoy it. You know what I mean? Like if you're going to do drugs, enjoy the drugs, right? Like if you're going to do them, enjoy them. If I'm going to wear a hoe outfit, lean in, enjoy it. You know, let your divine feminine energy come up from your butthole or whatever. So I put it on after I had sex in it. I put it on again. And um, I was like, oh, this costume has been christened. That's amazing. So I met up with Corinne for Halloween because I wanted to go out to a comedy club party. And we went and it was really fun. We went to the stand. And, you know, I've been uh, on a kick. I get on these kicks where I'm like, ooh, will this help? Will this fix me? You know, will this make me pretty? Or will this make my stomach not hurt all the time? Or will this make my skin not look like a pizza? So I'm always throwing spaghetti against the wall to see what sticks. And lately I've been on an herb kick. So I've been going to this um, natural pharmacy place, this health store to get herbs. I got oregano. I got these like herbs for your hormones. I got lemon balm, cat's claw. I don't know what the fuck that is. Apparently there's a tree cat's claw tree or whatever it tastes like shit but i've been doing it and i'm like 10 10 days to three yeah i mean like two or three weeks in to these herbs and a couple and i've been talking about it to the people that i you know see day to day and they'll suggest more herbs for me so i'm like i guess i'll take these too why not it's herbs but apparently um the oregano tincture makes makes your butthole loose and I was at this Halloween party looking sexy as hell, feeling great. And before I left to go to the Halloween party, I had a little gurgle. My stomach at the bottom was like, Bleh. I'm like, oh, oh, shit. Because look, the thing with this hot, sexy, whore jumpsuit that I love so much, this bodysuit, was that I couldn't zip it up by myself. Like, I could try, but it was it was hard to zip it up by myself because the zipper went all the way from the, my ass to my neck. And it was just hard because it was really tight and I don't want to rip it. And then it already ripped on the arm. And I was like, they can't fucking rip it anymore. This is the sexiest thing I've ever worn. It has to be perfect. So I felt a gurgle and I was like, okay, I'm not going to zip it yet because if I have to shit everywhere... This, I don't want to keep fucking take this thing on and off. So I, and, but nothing happened. I ordered a poke bowl with rice as the base, brown rice. So I'm like, okay, because I just got to absorb that gurgle, whatever it is in there. I didn't know what it was at the time, but I was like, I got to absorb that gurgle. And then we get to the stand party and it was so fun. And then about 20 minutes in, there was the gurgle again. And I was like, no, man, that's not there. And I, and I said, mind over matter, Christina, it's not there. Your stomach is fine. You feel great. You could fucking run laps, okay? Because not only did I have a see-through bodysuit, but I had the horriest boots in the land, okay? They were supposed to be my bedroom shoes that I could have sex in, that I didn't go outside. But after I got that bodysuit, I was like, nope, these are street shoes now because they are so hot. 
with this bodysuit, with this ass, with these tits, we're doing it, okay? But your girl got mad diarrhea at the stand party, but I didn't make it to the bathroom all the way. Yeah, that's right. I fucking sharded in my Halloween costume. And it was really, it was, it was bad because I was in the toilet, it was in the bathroom and it got on my underwear, (laughs) got on my underwear, didn't get on the costume. But I was like, dude, bro, bro, we're not doing this right now. What the fuck? I look so good. Why, God? Why? You know, it's like you plan your wedding day and it's outdoors and it's not during a rainy season and it's not in a rainy state. And then a fucking storm comes and you're like, why do you hate me, God? Why do you only hate me out of everybody in the world? That's how it felt. That's not true. But I'm a victim in that moment. Uh, and so I sharded it in my hot Halloween costume. And then I had to just stand in the stall, clean it up real quick because I got it real quick. It, it happened. Oh, God. I mean, if it would just have happened four seconds later, it would have been fine. But it didn't. And I clogged the toilet at the stand because um, I used a lot of toilet paper because I really wanted to make sure it was clean. And then the toilet paper started getting on my costume like the little. And I'm like, I can't have dingleberries on my fucking hot costume. What the fuck? And then the toilet started overflowing. It was getting on my boots. And I was like, this is sucks, man. It sucked. It was bad. And then I texted Corinne and I was like, because she was holding my coat. I had this gorgeous little black and white coat that looked great with the costume. It was a warm, it was a horror costume and it was also warm. I mean, Yahtzee, you know what I mean? And, and I started in it and I had to go home. I had to go home. Corinne had to go to the bathroom and give me my coat. And then I, I I had hand sanitizer in my, so I put the hand sanitizer, but I was too, I didn't even tell, there was the line for the bathroom. There's three stalls. I clogged toilet number one. <laughs> the line for the bathroom was so long that I couldn't face them. I couldn't say to the girls like, hey, I just sharded. I had to clean it up. And so the toilet's clogged. I, didn't, I know I didn't have to say that. I could have just said the toilet's clogged, but it's like, you know what that means. It means I pooped. So I don't want to say that because I looked so good. And I just, I'm just i like, okay, it, the good, the hotness is a little bit ruined for me. Probably ruined for Corinne, but like no one else knows I sharded. Well, now you guys do, but that's cool. Um, and so, and so, you know, uh, I had her meet me in the bathroom, give me my coat and I got the fuck out of there. So I was at the stand Halloween party for, for a total of 45 minutes. I got a few pictures taken before the shart. I did. But then I got home and I was like, what the fuck? Like, I don't, my body's, my stomach hurts a lot, but it's, a diarrhea is not, it, that, it's not, that's not common unless I have food poisoning, but it wasn't food poisoning. And I was like, what is this? And then I was looking, I'm like, what have I been doing differently? I'm like, the fucking herbs. And then I realized three separate people recommended me a, a, a type of herb that was like a blend of shit. And all three of those had oregano oil in it. And on top of that, I was already taking like just oregano oil. Oregano oil makes your asshole runny. So, guys, word to the wise. Just chill on the oregano oil, Christina. Oh, fuck. I got coffee on my fucking... Ugh, oh, whatever. You know, you can't... I can't... I can win. Sorry. I'm not, I, I just I just really didn't want to shart. This is the only night I didn't want to shart. That and, like, when I get married. You definitely don't want to shart then. Please don't make me shart on my wedding day, God. Oh, that would happen. I'm fucking calling it in because I'm a manifester. Um, yeah, so that sucked. But you know what doesn't suck? Well, it kind of sucks. Let's do some fuckboy theater. (laughs) 
I should drink my coffee. Uh. All right, guys, we're going to read a couple bios and then a very brief conversation. This is a bio for a piece of shit named Jeff. Um, he says... To anyone that thinks I want to take you on a date, you're wrong. He spelled your Y-O-U-R. Why would I want to date someone I don't know and pay for it at that? This is his bio, by the way. This is the first thing he wants you to think of him. I would say getting together, making new friends, and if interest and attraction is there, then yeah! I have no problem going on dates with the intention to continue to date. And then I, he must have, I don't know if he copied and pasted this bio, bio into his prior profile book. It says, uh, I have no problem going on a date with intentions to continue to date dot SC dot Adam Jeff. What? Dude, bro, proofread. He's 33. Proofread. Jesus Christ. This is a piece of shit named Austin. This is his bio. Need a nice girl with a decent face. We'll prob need to call you over the phone to test your voice out. Gotta be anywhere from 125 pounds to 140 pounds. Between 5 foot and 5 foot 10 inches tall. You can't be gay. Gotta be bisexual or straight. You will also have to be okay with me living with my parents. This is his bio. He's 24. I'm a clean virgin. No STDs. I don't care about anything else. Any race will work. You can even be blind. Thanks, Jeff. Wow. It's fine. I hate to say this, but no wheelchairs, please. Oh, Jeff. And then he says GLHF. What does, what does that mean? GLHF meaning. Oops, the last thing I was looking at was porn. That's uncomfortable. Um, Whatever. Global Health Living Foundation. I feel like that's not what Jeff meant. <laughs> oh, that's Austin. Sorry. Oh, he's a substitute teacher. Sick. Okay, this is one more bio. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He his 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 Tinder profile name is him and I. Ugh, you're not a poet, dude. Stop. He's 31. Let's fuck. You nut. I nut. End of story. Till maybe we meet again. All I do is work. So in my free time, I like to beat the pussy up. IJS. What does IJS mean? IJS meaning. God, these fucking kids. I'm just oh, I'm just saying? Just say, I'm just saying. It's your bio, you fuck. It's your bio to find, well, not love, but pussy. You Don't abbreviate for the pussy. And then real real quick conversation. This is between a piece of shit named Dave and a lady who's probably great, but I don't know her name, so who knows. Um, okay, they matched. They matched in January of last year. Dave goes, this is his first message, by the way. Anal? Sorry, wrong person. How's your day going? And then she says, wow. And scene. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really got to be a fan acting and I'm I'm so good at it and it cost me a lot of money and I kind of regret it except for the fact that I did have the opportunity to intern at Saturday Night Live. So that's why I went to college because NBC won't let you go intern for them if you're not in college. So that's why we do that. Ronnie, have you ever sharded? Oh, yeah. 
Oh, hell yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. All right. Because I'm, I'm on like shark number five. Yeah. I'm getting up there. Maybe two or three. Two or three? Okay. Yeah. You're younger than me, so that makes sense. <laughs> you really, it really doesn't go away. And it, it's like, oh, God. I don't know if I talked, I don't think I talked about this last week. Did I talk about the voices you make when you get older? The sounds you make when you get older, Mike? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I did. Okay. I did talk about it. I just keep doing it. I guess I'm manifesting it. Because like getting out of bed, you're like, ugh. Ugh, like everything hurts. And then you're sharding on top of that. No, thank you. And now I have, I, Corinne and I were in this documentary about periods. <laughs> Who's horny? And I made my boyfriend go to it. And because um, I went to a screening and there was like a Q&A. They wanted me and this other woman who was a part of the documentary, who's an activist. She's a period. Uh, what was the exact title? Uh, a period activist is not what she was called. It was something a little bit more official. But I, I got to be honest. I read it and I was like, Ugh, okay, what the fuck is this? She was awesome. I love being wrong about people and I am wrong about people most of the time, uh, especially when I have like a eye roll impression. If they get, I'm like, oh, crisis. <laughs> she was great. She was fantastic. She's already had legislation changed in Congress. I'm like, goddamn girl, you've done more than I have and you're younger than me and that, good for you. I'm sorry I judged you earlier. I didn't say that because she didn't even know that. But uh we were, uh, we watched, so we watched this documentary. It was a lot of information. It was a great documentary. It was really good. Kurt and I were the comedic relief. That was, that was needed. You know, you can't, it's, uh, there's not, I do do a lot of bits on stage about periods. Um, but well, a couple, but, uh, you know, for the most part, giving information about a woman's menstrual cycle and how the medical, um, the medical, I'm going to say industry, Western medicine is, you know, does not do women any favors because they don't test medicine on women because of the hormones. And it's like, wait, but men have hormones too. You fucking piece of shit. <laughs> uh, but I learned about, they they talked about menopause and I was like, oh no. And they talked about like all the symptoms. And the, a couple of ladies like figured it out. You know, I, you don't, it doesn't happen until like 45, 50, sometimes, sometimes later, but usually around then. And uh, boy, those symptoms don't sound fun. You just, a lot of women were interviewed and they're like, yeah, I'll just be in the middle of a grocery store and I'll get a hot flash and I'll want to take all my clothes off and just fucking sit in a freezer. I'm like, that sounds, I'd rather shart because when you shart, you just go in the bathroom, you throw your underwear out and it's fine. But like with that, you got, I mean, you can't, people are going to think you're having a stroke. Oh, I'd rather shart. So I don't, I'm not looking forward to that, but you know. Uh, what I am looking forward to is, and I'm, I was like, should I read these? Yeah, they're not, they're half baked. I, I, I gotta get, I still have to, I have still have to do some, uh, some finessing, some punching up, but I, my, my Colin is playing, my, my Colin is playing, um, his EP release show tonight at seven o'clock. I mean, this is being, I'm recording this on a Thursday. It's coming out on a Monday. So you can, you know, by the time you listen to this, it'll already have happened, which is kind of cool because did it go well? Did it not? I don't know. So he put together a really great band of his friends that are very, very talented. And he has this great set. He's really good at like stringing in his original music and covers. And I've seen him do a solo show a couple of times. I'm like, this is actually really impressive. Um, so that's fun. And, and he was uh, I asked him like, oh, who's going to open for you? And he's thinking of a couple of musicians. He's like, maybe I'll do a comic. And then he was like, did would you want it? <laughs> it was one of those things where he had to like pretend that he just thought of the idea. But he was like, would you want to do And I was like, yeah. Mm. yeah sure and I was like no fuck it you know because I got to put myself in more uncomfortable situations and so um I mean it's stand I was gonna do stand I'm gonna do stand up 20 minutes of stand up but I made this suggestion that left my mouth and he was like yes he clung to it um he I was like I could roast you like at the end like I'll do like five minutes 
I'll just like roast you. You can come out on stage. That could be funny because he has a good sense of humor. He's honestly, he's he laughs at himself more than I have the ability to laugh at myself. And I really admire that. I just get too embarrassed. And I'm a fucking perfectionist and it ruins my life. Um, except when I shart. I'm like, you know what, girl? You had too much oregano oil. It's okay. You didn't know. Um, I gave myself a, you know, I, I, I hugged myself during that. I didn't get down on myself. But anyway, I wrote, I wrote a bunch of roast jokes because uh, I asked him. I was like, you know, what? Usually there's a rule in comedy. You roast the ones you love, Okay. And obviously the Comedy Central roasts, like they don't all love each other. But the Comedy Central roasts are great. These these roasts, Nikki Glaser, Jeff Ross, uh, like these motherfuckers are killers. Hannibal Burris, the roast of Justin Bieber on Comedy Central is really good. So I was watching that, but I'm like, these are too harsh because his friends and family are going to be there. And he's beloved. He's like a beloved person. So it's kind of, it's hard to roast somebody who's very loved because uh, you don't want to lose the audience. And so I can do digs at him and he'll think it's funny, but they won't. They'll, they'll be like, oh, like, uh, all right, fuckers. And I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want that vibe. I don't want to set that tone. So I had to be a little, uh, and I asked them, you know, cause I've roasted a couple people in my day. I think I've won one roast battle. I'm not great at roasting cause I'm just not a cunt enough. Uh, and I need to be, I don't, it's not, but I'll get, I'll, I'll write with a comic who's fucking mean and nasty and they'll help me write some roast jokes. And I'm like, yo, this is great. And I love saying the nasty cunty roast jokes. Um, but uh, for this, the vibe needs to be, you know, because he's about then he's going to play an hour's worth of music. So I want to be like, look at this fucking fat, bald, fuck, a functioning alcoholic with a tiny dick. Guys, Colin, Colin Smith, everybody, everyone listen to an hour of music that he wrote when he was in the midst of heartache. You know, it's not a good vibe. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so here's some roast jokes that I wrote. Uh, I'm, I'm reading them. So the delivery is not going to be. But just, you know, I'm just going to practice saying them out loud because I got to perform them tonight. And again, these need punch ups. Uh, I'm open to suggestions, Ronnie, if you if you if you have any. Okay. Um, uh, the goal is so I asked him, what can I make fun? Like, what are you comfortable making uh, of me making fun of you about? And he gave me some categories, um, balding, uh, functioning alcoholic. He's always wanted a bigger penis, uh, you know, a couple other things. So I was like, all right, well, I'll, that's enough to work with. Um, so I'll do my set and then I'll say some roast jokes. Probably not in this order, but we'll see. Uh, Colin is 12 years older than me. That's the kind of age gap that used to be hot. Being a 20-year-old dating a 34-year-old, you're like, yes, daddy, I just bought some lingerie to wear later. And then you get a little older with an age gap and you're like, hey, can you... Can you wear this Breathe Right strip? Mm, yeah, mama wants some quality shut-eye tonight. Wear it for mom. Wear it for me. Oh, shit, I fucked it up. Uh, and, okay, I got to write a joke about how he snores loud, but I haven't written that yet. Uh, I'm 35 years young. Colin is hold the phone three feet from your face so you can read it years old. <laughs> Yay. Okay, good. Uh, I've known him for five years, and the older he gets, the farther away he has to hold his phone. His arms keep going out farther and farther. It's what I like to call a geriatric erection. Nice. When I first met him, he had a ponytail and a gigantic bald spot that he covered up well when it wasn't raining. He was he was walking proof of that age old saying, what God giveth in talent, he taketh away in hair. <laughs> nice. OK, uh, he's got he's going to. Oh, oh, I got to I got to move this up uh, to the after the geriatric erection. Uh, he's going to have to get a selfie stick soon. As long as he doesn't increase the font size on his phone, we're good. I think that could be the only thing Colin could do that would dry me up. I got to be honest. Well, that and his farts. His farts are world famous for clearing a room or blocking an exit or making you want to vomit on yourself while driving down the highway. 
I'd rather call in down six Irish car bombs and drive me across country than drive with him after he eats a burrito or a burger or anything, really. If you could bottle up one of Colin's farts in a jar and mail it to someone, the FBI would have you flagged for terrorism. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, and I got it. Okay, so I got it. This joke doesn't have an ending, but he's ca- he's from Dublin, so he's ir- Irish. Doy, that's where Dublin is. Although there is a Dublin, Pennsylvania. That's weird. Uh, like a good Irish Catholic boy, Colin takes great care of his body and his health for a whopping 40 days out of the year, from Ash Wednesday to Good Friday. The remaining 325 days. And then I got to write a joke about how, like, he's just a fucking maniac with alcohol. I mean, the, the Irish trope of, like, Irish people are all not drugs, but, like, they're alcoholics. Yes, a lot of them. A lot of them are. Just, they are. Sorry. Uh, but they're good at it. Like they drink a lot and you're like, how the fuck can one man have so much alcohol in his body and be standing? It's pretty impressive. So I got to write that. Um, oh, and then he doesn't know I'm, right, I'm doing jokes about this yet. And he didn't tell me this was the category that I could joke about. So this is why it's going to be a big risk. You have your girlfriend open for you and your music show. She's stand up. She's going to roast you. Maybe some of them are going to be. Unco- I don't know. He'll, I think he'll think this is funny. But we'll see. I'm going to fuck. We'll see. Colin's charm is off the charts. When you're talking to him, he has this amazing ability to make you feel like you're the only woman in the room, in the world even, until a seven or above walks through the door. And then you're back to being invisible. I got to do the ending. The ending has to be punchier with that. Um, oh, and then this is an alt joke. So I want to make fun of like, he's a rubbernecker. Like if there's a hot woman, he'll just, I'll, I'll be talking to him. And I'll be like, hey, we'll be talking about something. And then I see a hot chick and I'm like, oh, he's going to do the thing where he pretends I'm not there and he just looks at her and I know he's good and he does it and I'm like dude you gotta stop you got like it's not bad that you do it first of all it's like don't don't you're a little obvious but whatever I don't I'm not like you're shit for doing that don't do it next to me that's fucking rude and I don't know like maybe when we're dating for 10 years or we're married or whatever I'm not I'm gonna be one of those wives that's like oh he loves the ladies ha 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 and then I really don't care but right now I care okay so don't do that um but uh so I wrote this is an alt to the until seven or above walks through the door but I really do like that joke I just gotta get a better ending uh this one it says I'm obsessed with psychic phenomena and I've and I'm always trying to develop any untapped abilities I might have some of you may not know this but Colin actually has psychic powers yeah it's really impressive wherever we are in the world he can tell if there's a model or an attractive woman within a two mile radius and it needs an ending but um colin has a lot of hopes and dreams but at the end of the day he just wants a bigger penis and god has not delivered i'm so sorry uh okay good okay thank you for laughing at the ones that you liked because i have to cut this and so now i know what to cut cute yeah but i gotta i want to i gotta write a functioning alcoholic oh wait that's the other one about oh his, his big penis right um he doesn't have one, a big penis, but, uh, it's, I mean, it's fucking, it's average. I don't care. But he's, he always like, he makes it, Irish people are very self-deprecating, much like comedians, which I really enjoy. And, uh, he's, he always makes jokes about, he's like a little dick. And I was making like a board, uh, one time we went on vacation in Vermont and I was doing like a manifest board, like a vision board. Cause I was like, we need a house in the woods surrounded by trees that the, the house is made of glass and I can see the trees and we're going to have goats and I'm going to walk around in the forest with my tits out petting the goats. And he was like, can you put a bigger penis on your manifestation board for me. And I was like, okay. Um, but then, oh, I wrote this great joke. I'm like, um, so I'll say this after. Colin has a lot of hopes and dreams, but at the end of the day, he just wants a bigger penis and God has not delivered. I'm so sorry. Um, maybe I got to find a good segue, but I want to say sometimes I'll sprinkle red pepper flakes on his penis just to feel something. <laughs> That's pretty good, right? Yeah, fuck yeah. Red pepper flakes, baby. 
red pepper flakes. Yeah. So that's, and these are like good, like roast jokes. It's a roast jokes are, I really like writing them because they're a huge challenge because you have to walk this fine line. You can't, it can't be too dark. Like it, it's very easy to make the joke like so true that you're like, now we're uncomfortable. You kind of ruined the vibe. <laughs> I don't want to go home. <laughs> so, and as an opener of a show, Oh, yeah. And I got to do something. I have a podcast called Guys We Fucked and Colin is a bigger slut than I am. I got to do something about like his body count or something. He's just a he's a whore. He's a huge whore, which I love. Um, but just don't rubberneck when you're next to me. You know what I mean? That's like not a lot to ask for. Um, so, yeah. Thank you for being my captive audience for that. Do I have anything else I want to say before I read this? Nope. OK, so I'm going to read a little excerpt from Harriet Lerner's book. I love this book. It's called Why Won't You Apologize? Healing Big Betrayals and Everyday Hurts. Um, this is such a good book. Oh, and this, this section speaks to me. So the title of this chapter, I'm just going to read some little chunks of it. How much time have I been doing, Ronnie? Uh, you're at 33 minutes. Yes. Okay. So I think we're going to do a 45 minute episode like I've always wanted to. Live your dreams, guys. This is from chapter five, The Secret Life of the Non-Apologizer. Okay. And then she, at the beginning, she talks about how, like, you know, culturally, different cultures have different views of apologizing. And different cultures have different views of everything. Uh, it's always fascinating to me to, uh, like, some cultures, and some cultures, some people, like, they do things that I would consider in my culture gross, but it's not at all gross to them. And so when I go, Ugh, they're like, fuck's your problem. I'm like, oh, yeah. And then you realize, like, everyone's so different, you know? You grow up with completely different set of beliefs and a completely different set of, like, what's appropriate, what's inappropriate, what's rude, what's kind. Like, we just, I can't believe we haven't all died. I mean, we're all going to die. But, like, yes, the state of the world is bad. But considering how different we are and how much we don't tolerate difference, like, you know, it could be worse, maybe. I don't know. Just trying to feel better about this fucking war. All right. So, uh the secret life of the non-apologizer. One man I saw in therapy, Jeffrey, was allergic to apologizing to anyone. My parents were always in my face to get me to apologize to my brother, and they always assumed everything was my fault. They would say, now you apologize to Scott right now. Then that wasn't a real apology. Do it again and say it like you mean it. Oh, that was the fucking worst. Dude, my dad would make me apologize. Actually, my dad would make my brother apologize a lot because for some reason, if my brother looked at me weird, my dad would be like, do you look at your sister like that? It was weird. Like he, he was, he, there, he was, thought he was protecting me from my brother. My brother was awesome. He was literally the nicest, kindest little boy and teenage boy and adult man. Like he's so respectful and so kind. And my dad was just, I, I never understood that. But, um, but there were a couple of times where I heard my dad say to him and to me, like, you didn't mean that apology. I'm like, well, I'm not sorry. Oh, you want, you're not sorry? Grounded for five more weeks. What the fuck? Are you going to yell at me? Two more weeks. It's just, it was a hell. Jeffrey found the whole process humiliating. Yeah. And confusing. Even worse were those incidents when his father behaved badly and then proceeded to apologize to Jeffrey in the most burdensome way imaginable. My dad would lose it and scream at me with such rage that I thought he might hit me, though he never did. Later, he'd come and find me and he'd be all weepy about how he behaved. When he was drinking, he had this pleading way of asking me to forgive him as if I was supposed to hug and comfort him. That part felt as bad as his screaming. Jeffrey's solution as an adult was to never say he was sorry. And you know what, guys? That makes sense. Scientifically, 
that makes sense that that's the behavior that results from that past, right? And so sometimes when people don't apologize and you get butthurt about that, I mean, I you don't have to consider this, but I am just saying, if you want to understand it a little bit, it's possible that he they were like Jeffrey, okay? So just give people a little bit more space to find better ways to behave instead of yelling at them for not behaving the way we want to. It didn't help much that Jeffrey was married to someone for whom apologies mattered a great deal and who vigorously demanded them only to proclaim them worthless because she only received one she insisted he give it. (laughs) That's a fun fucking hellhole to be in. Apologize to me. All right, I'm sorry. Oh, you only apologize because I asked you to. I mean, yeah, that's exactly what happened. What's your personal view? People hold strikingly different views about how, when, and if to offer and accept apologies. I don't apologize and I don't accept apologies, a friend tells me flatly. When people apologize to me, they're trying to silence my anger. They're really saying, look, I apologize, so be quiet already. Drop it. Now, I got to say, obviously, not everybody who apologizes is like that. But I grew up with a person in my life, my mom, uh, who, who, who did that, like, I, she would do something really hurtful. And I'm like, dude. And she's like, I'm sorry. We'll let it go. I'm like, well, well now it's worse. Uh, I can't wait to get out of here. My friend views apologies as a manipulative tool to silence or placate the other person and to grab the moral high ground. Some apologies are indeed motivated by nothing more than a wish to shut down the conversation and avoid further criticism. <sighs> See, that was me when I was in my 20s. Or they are used as an excuse to continue unfair or irresponsible behavior. That said, I have a different view. I believe that tendering an apology, one that is authentic and genuinely felt, helps the other person to feel validated, soothed, and cared for, and can restore a sense of well-being and integrity to the one who sincerely feels she or he did something wrong. I mean, isn't that nice? Don't you want to make people in your life feel validated, soothed, and cared for? Even if people didn't do that to you. I get it. People didn't do that to me a lot of the time when I needed people to do that to me. But it's a nice thing to give somebody. So if you're stubborn about apologies, keep that in mind. Why? It's not going to kill you to be kind and understanding. It's really not. And you think it's weak. I got to say, I got better at apologizing as I got older. I was real bad at it, really bad at it because I was a perfectionist and I was trying so hard to be perfect all of the time. So apologizing meant that I wasn't perfect and I just couldn't bear. But now I got over it after a lot of crying and wanting to die. Uh, Without the possibility of an apology and repair, the inherently flawed experience of being human would feel impossibly tragic. I'm going to read that fucking sentence again. Without the possibility of apology and repair, the inherently flawed experience of being human would feel impossibly tragic. Oh, hit me with that poetry, Harriet. Our beliefs about apologies are rooted in family and culture and maybe generations in the making. When we explore these beliefs away from the heat of conflict, that's a very important part, we can see how well they are working for us and modify them if necessary. Jeffrey, for example, did figure out in therapy how to offer apologies that reflected his personal values and best thinking rather than staying stuck in a don't hold your breath waiting for me to apologize stance. Now, the next section is lovely title. It's called Real Men Don't Apologize. That's false, by the way. Perhaps the number one risk factor for being a non-apologizer is being born male. (laughs) (laughs) She said it. She's a doctor. Just, Just as 
get well, let's even out the scales here, just as the number one risk factor for being an over-apologizer is being born female. Touche, girl. Research suggests that more men than women just won't go there when it comes to apologizing and a finding that holds true across cultures. Okay. Most parents don't intentionally set out to raise their sons to be a James Bond or a Man of Steel type figure, but none of us is entirely free of gender stereotypes. While feminism has changed our gender roles, they remain very much with us. Be a man, I recently heard a dad tell his eight-year-old son who was sobbing in the soccer field. Oh, I've seen so many examples of men telling their son, like, this one I, one time I was in a pool with my friend and this guy was trying to get, he was in the pool and his like five-year-old son was going to jump in, but he was scared. And then he said, come on, son, don't be a girl. Can I tell you, I almost fucking took my bikini top off and slapped him with it. I almost fucking slapped him. And I was like, well, that's not the answer. You know, that's not going to get him to change. And then you're going to show a five-year-old your tits and you're going to be arrested. So I didn't do it because I'm practicing restraints. But I can't stand that shit. Fuck you. Okay. Anyway, I hadn't heard these words in a while, but every kid knows what it means to man up. Be strong. Don't cry. Don't be too soft, sensitive, or vulnerable. Don't be a sissy. In a word, don't be like a girl. (laughs) In contrast, the command to be a woman has no meaning at all. Isn't that interesting? Although to dictate be a lady is perfectly clear. Yeah, close your legs. Stop being a whore. We continue to shame boys for half of their humanity, which we label feminine. Our sons will grow up having to prove their masculinity over and over again to other men, often in the form of achieving status, dominance, and financial success. For some men, the very act of apologizing, of simply saying, I was wrong, I made a mistake, I'm sorry, may feel uncomfortable, if not intolerable. As one man put it, it makes me feel weak to apologize. It's like losing something and giving the other person the superior edge. And once you let your guard down, the other person can take advantage of you. Okay, and I skipped a couple parts. The problem with perfectionism, see this part really speaks to me. While more men than women have difficulty apologizing, any particular man may apologize more easily than any particular woman. In my marriage, for example, Steve offers a bit more easily, Steve apologizes a bit more easily than I do. And some women seem to embody Kipling's vision. No one is immune to becoming defensive and shutting down when our favored image of ourself is challenged. Yo, that sentence, that sentence rang through me like a fucking church bell. Oh, that's exactly, that's when I, when I come, when I used to be in a situation where I'm like, I fucked up, I got to apologize. I felt myself going, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. But then the other half of me was like, can you fucking do it? And the other half of me was like, and the other half of me was like, your life is going to be easier if you just mature and do it. It doesn't mean you're weak. And then the other half of me was like, no. So, you know, it's a battle. Me versus me. Okay. Some people are so hard on themselves. That's me. For the mistakes they make that they don't have the emotional room to apologize to others. Oof, bro. Bro. It me. Or at least not in uh, in the particularly vulnerable area, say, work or parent, uh, in which their self-esteem is most at stake. An example is my long-distance work relationship with a super competent colleague whom I love and respect. Oh, I love these examples because you're like, I'd get so fucking mad at that person if that were me. And then she's like, well, this is how you handle it without anger. And I'm like, all right, where do I put my anger now? It's still in me. Uh, She does not, however, apologize for any error that she makes, large or small, in the arena of work. Recently, she and I set up a 1030 morning uh, phone meeting to discuss our joint participation in a workshop. Our phone meeting was scheduled for Tuesday, but she called me on Monday 
And when she didn't reach me, she texted, emailed, and left messages on two other numbers saying, Harriet, where are you? In a tone that failed to mask her irritation that I was not available. Well, bitch, you got the... See, if that was if I was Harriet, I'd be like, bitch, you got the wrong day. Get off my dick. Get off my dick. And that's not helpful. A few hours later, when I had the chance... Yeah, you take your time, Harriet. I sent her a short email saying our phone appointment was the following day. She emailed me back one word. Right. Oh, you bitch. This incident would hardly be worth noting, except that in our very long collegial relationship, she has never apologized, nor do I ever recall her saying something like, oops, my mistake, or ah, I don't know what I was, I didn't know what I was thinking, or I got that wrong. Because I'm a person who easily apologizes for my mistakes in work situations, it's been hard for me to comprehend her inability to acknowledge and apologize for simple errors. See, this is such a good example because this is an everyday example. You know what I mean? And it's one of those examples where you're like, it's not that big of a deal, I guess. But guess what? It's going to create a little chip. It's going to chip away at you. All the little times that these things happen and the person goes, oh, okay. And they don't apologize. It's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. And then you're a shell of who you used to be. And then you explode on them in a a situation that's completely inappropriate. And then they're like, what's your problem? And then you're like, I don't know. I guess I do have a problem. Why am I yelling at you like this? And then you don't realize it's because you didn't nip it in the bud in the first place. She offers her perfectionism as an example for her defensiveness. Knowing her as I do, I resonate with her self-diagnosis. Perfectionism can indeed make it difficult for any of us to offer an, a sincere apology because we are unlikely to be able to view our errors and limitations in a light and self-loving way. <sighs> Those words chill me to the bone, Harriet. While some perfectionistic people are prone to over-apologizing, the opposite occurs just as frequently. When we adopt an attitude of terminal seriousness about our mistakes, such poetry, Harriet, or we equate mistakes with being unworthy, lesser, or bad. It me, it me, it me, uh, you girl. It's more difficult to admit error and apologize for being wrong. A vicious cycle ensues because the inability to admit error, orient to reality, and offer a heartfelt apology only leaves the perfectionist feeling less authentic and whole. That is, even less perfect, which then further heightens the resistance to apologizing. Oh. This was me in my 20s. This fucking shit. Descri- oh, and it so ruins relationships, dude. And then you're like, oh, no, why can't I fucking woman up? Guess I'll just sit here and cry. Guess I'm just a piece of shit. Guess I'll just fucking cry in a corner. And then you're like, oh, that doesn't work either. Um, a matter of self-worth. The perfectionist walks a tightrope above a canyon of low self-esteem. <laughs> That's beautiful. Oh, hit me where it hurts, Harriet. People who need to have it all together are in touch with their competence, but lose sight of the fact that we are all error-prone, imperfect human beings. I mean, you got that one right. It may therefore feel too risky to admit error or wrongdoing even to oneself. Oh, that hurts me because I totally hid myself from my, my behaviors from myself. The brain is super powerful. That's why you got to think about good thoughts. Uh, more often than you think about bad thoughts. I'm telling you, the, your brain is, 
kind of kind of nuts in that way. Um, it can really hide some shitty things you're doing from yourself. I mean, you're kind of choosing to be ignorant to it. Maybe it's a defense mechanism because your mom was like bipolar or whatever. It doesn't matter, though, because adults in the real world don't give a fuck about that. Perfectionists fail to identify with the wise words of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. I'm not OK. You're not OK. And that's OK. Ooh, that was good. I felt good about that one. To offer a serious apology, you need the inner strength to allow yourself to feel vulnerable. You need to be in touch with both your competence and your limitations. When you have fairly solid self-esteem, you can admit to being in the wrong without feeling like you're weakening the fabric of the self or losing something to the other person. Just fucking fuck me in the ass with lube first. In my work as a therapist, I've heard countless theories that my clients put forth that the person in their lives who won't step up to uh, to the apology plate. Here's a brief sampling. Each of these examples is a bit different, but each speaks to the same essential theme of shaky self-esteem. I fucking love these books because it's like, yes, give me examples. I'm going to identify with those samples and go, and I'm going to go, damn, that example is me. I got to stop. God forbid my sister would apologize for being wrong because she makes a show of being a perfect person with a perfect life. She once had a shame attack because I had to visit one afternoon and she was napping. Underneath, I think she feels lousy about herself. Oh, that sucks. I felt bad for her. That sucks. That does suck. Yeah, ma'am. Shame is nasty, dude. If you feel shame, and I, I mean, everybody does, but you really gotta, you really gotta, it's mental gymnastics because the shame, it's not gonna go away. But what can enter your life when that shame happens in your head, the voices in your head are like, piece of shit. You got to do the mental gymnastics and go, this is old. This is an old little pattern that I'm doing. But guess what? We're not going to do that anymore because we're working and we're growing and we're learning and we're getting sexy in our Halloween costumes and we're sharding. My supervisor is so insecure that apologizing would make him feel like the wolf who bears his neck to all his attackers as an admission of defeat, like he's lost his status in the group hierarchy. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> that kind of, I've met that kind of guy before. It chills me to my bones. My husband is so controlling and rigid that when he's criticized, he goes into debate mode, turns things around and makes it the other person's fault. Now, this is interesting because some of these and not just these examples. Yes, these examples, but other examples in the book, the, the refusing to apologize thing. That is a trait. A lot of times people we throw the word narcissist around, but I do believe a lot of people have narcissistic tendencies. You know, I don't a full blown textbook narcissist is more rare. But uh, certainly people have narcissistic tendencies without having like full-blown narcissism in my non-professional opinion. But a lot this one, that my husband is controlling and rigid. So when he's criticized, he goes into debate mode, turns things around and makes it my fault. That's, that's a narcissistic ego, my guy. I wouldn't say that guy, he has narcissism, but like, you know, fix it. But that, like that kind of attitude with the controlling thing and then you cr like criticize somebody and then they're like, but you did this. It, oh, my God. Run for the hills or go to therapy. That's probably a better one. There's no way my brother is ever going to apologize to my wife because he feels so inadequate in her eyes. It would only give her more ammunition to criticize him and look down on him. Oh, dude. Yeah. But you know what the irony is? I've felt that I've been on the I've been on the I've stood on the edge of a cliff of apologizing to somebody for something I've, with a couple of people in my life where I'm like, I know I did the wrong thing, but the thing that made me not jump off the cliff and the this in this metaphor, jumping off the cliff is apologizing because it felt very scary 
is because I thought they would have ammo to use against me. And then you got to really think that don't don't just stop there, you know, do the mental gymnastics and go, wait, wait, wait. But how would it feel to offer a genuine apology that reflected my morals and values that made that person feel seen or heard that was not defensive? Turns out it's pretty empowering, actually, and it makes your self-esteem a little higher. OK, and if that person is likely going to be receptive to it. You know what I'm saying? So it's good all around, even though your brain is going abort. No, but you should say yes. There's no. okay. people's sense of self-worth is pivotal in their ability to look clearly at the hurt they've caused. Oh, let me read it again. Take me to church area. People's sense of self-worth is pivotal to their ability to look clearly at the hurt they've caused. Let's just have a moment of silence for all the dipshits. The more solid one's self-sense of regard, the more likely that person can feel empathy and compassion for the hurt party and apologize from an authentic center. And that's the thing with the people with narcissistic tendencies. They're they're insecure. Everybody's insecure at various levels or insecure about something about themselves. Um, and, And the people that are steadfast and that we would go, He's a narcissist. She's a narcissist. Well, maybe they're acting narcissistic, perhaps, but uh, really at the bottom of it. And if you know a narcissist, like a real full-blown one, do you think that they have healthy self-esteem? No, they very clearly don't. And when you don't have healthy self-esteem, you feel a great deal of shame. And when you feel a great deal of shame, you either sit in your house all day or you go out into the world and you're just a piece of shit. Okay, so we can see it from a mile away. I'm so glad we're talking about this stuff because then then next time y'all in 10 years time, don't fuck with me because now I know all the tricks in your book. I got you down. I got I know you better than you know yourself, motherfucker, because I know your tactics and I know that's the root of them because you feel sad and insecure and alone and cold. Well, guess what? I sharded in my sexiest Halloween costume and I don't care. So you don't have to care about your shit. The unbearable weight of shame. This is the last one I'll read. Nothing devastates self-worth like the experience of shame. The feeling of being essentially flawed, inadequate, and out of the flow of human connection. Oh, such poetry, Harriet. Uh, yeah, because when you're feeling shame, you don't want to connect with people. And I got to say, one of the most, one of the best days in my life are days where I remember to go, I want to, I want every interaction I have with every person I encounter to be lovely in some way. Even if that person has had the worst day and they're being a bitch, that's okay. Then I, what can I offer to have a lovely interaction with them? Understanding. Go, I'm sorry. You know, just try it. Can't hurt. While guilt evokes true remorse and signals us to apologize, shame does the opposite. Brene Brown's work on shame and vulnerability has helped countless men and women identify the mischief of this emotion. Ooh, I love that phrase. The courageously uh, and courageously speak, act, and show up in spite of it. Shame and guilt are distinctly different emotions. Guilt is what we feel when we behave in a way that violates our core values and beliefs, assuming, of course, that our conscious is in good working order. But it might not be because for a lot of people, it's not. The experience of guilt is usually tied to specific behaviors that we're not especially proud of, like betraying a friend's confidence 
oh, I've done that before. That sucks. I'm really not good at keeping secret, but it's not because I want to like spill your beans everywhere. It's just because it's hard and it's juicy and I want to tell people, but I'm better at it now. So you can tell me secrets or hurting someone in the name of honesty. Oh yeah. That old, that old fun one. Well, I'm just being honest, babe. I'm just being honest. That outfit's not really good on you. Just being honest. Well, I didn't ask you, Herman. Healthy guilt is to be distinguished from the non-productive guilt that women have long been encouraged to cultivate like a little flower garden. The kind of guilt that keeps women saying, I'm sorry, for no good reason at all. Healthy guilt is good guilt. It's what inspires us to apologize when we stray from being the kind, honest, responsible person we aim to be. Well, most of us, some people don't aim for that. That is when we deserve to be sorry. Unlike healthy guilt, the experience of shame goes beyond specific behaviors to what a friend describes as a yuck-poisoned feeling about one's fundamental self. While guilt is about doing, shame is about being. Ah, Oh, it hurts. Oh, it hurts. Deep down, we believe that another person couldn't possibly love or respect us if he or she really knew the whole pitiful, god-awful truth about us. Oh, Jesus, that makes me so sad. And I got to say, I got to say this. The, I think the people, the the pe- partners that ab- that physically and mentally and emotionally abuse their romantic partner or abuse their kids or abuse, oh God, an animal. I mean, they're, they're all bad. For some reason, the animal makes me feel the baddest. But um, people that abuse, like that near-death experience video I was talking about earlier where that woman's husband was just fucking disgusting. My, my, whenever I hear these stories, my immediate reaction used to be, honest to God, it used to be like, fuck that guy. He's a fucking piece of shit. Blah, blah, blah. Leave him. That's not love. All this little, all my little, I get climb up on my pedestal and I go, this is what's happening. But really, you know what I feel about that now? That person guaranteed hates themselves. Okay. They fucking hate themselves. They feel awful. They don't want to look in the mirror. And then they realize they'll get in a relationship and sometimes it'll switch. It's like a switch. We hear about, I hear about it all the time from people who write in, from books I read, Four months in, six months in, one year in, three years in, there's a switch that happens. And underneath that switch, I've always thought this, but this book kind of confirms it. It's like, you love me? I don't trust you. That's fucked up because I'm a piece of shit. Why would you love a piece of shit? You're a piece of shit. And that's the whole, ah, the whole shit cycle. To guard against the intolerable feeling of shame, we may fold ourselves up and hide in the darkest corner. We may apologize for taking up too much space or for using up too much uh, valuable oxygen in the room. Jesus Christ, don't apologize for that. Or we may do the opposite and flip shame into contempt, arrogance, and a need to control and display of one-upmanship, dominance, and superiority. Oh boy, do I know people like that. In uh, In the latter case, the person may be hell bent on not apologizing to anybody. The overly apologetic style is more predominant in women. Yeah, sorry about that, guys. And dominate the dominating style is more predominant in men, although there are many exceptions to this generalization, as there are with all of them. While these two styles of shame avoidance look as different as night and day, they are flip sides of the same low self-esteem. See, men and women got more in common than we thought. We're all both insecure pieces of shit. It's just we showed a little differently. Uh, It took me a long time to fully appreciate that the person who feels essentially superior is no different than the person who feels essentially inferior. (laughs) Oh, my God. If someone would have given me this book when I was 
18, my life would have gone a lot different. In both cases, it will be challenging for the shame-based person to apologize wisely and well. For an individual to look squarely at his or her harmful actions and to become genuinely accountable, that person must have a platform of self-worth to stand on. That's the other thing. That's why I say a genuine apology will actually give you self-esteem. It's crazy because you're like, I'm, you're willing to look at the thing that you did that was fucked up and to acknowledge that it was fucked up to the person that you fucked up. Only from the vantage point of this higher ground can people who have hurt others gain perspective and access empathy and remorse. Only from there can they hurt, can they look out at their less than honorable behaviors and apologize. Of course, a heartfelt apology cannot right a serious wrong, but it can be the first step. And that's, I just want to read that. I'm going to keep reading. This book is so good because I really think a lot of turmoil, a lot of ego, there's a lot of ego involved in in not apologizing. And sometimes, you know, I see, I've been a part of these fights. I've, I've witnessed two fights where both people, maybe one, maybe one person did start it like five years ago. And then, then the other person goes, well, I'm going to do this because you do that. And then you just keep building this cake of poop. You know, and you have this big cake and you're like, I don't know where this cake even started to be made. Like, I don't I'm mad at you and you're so hell bent on if I apologize. That means I'm admitting I'm wrong, but I don't think I'm wrong. Well, guess what? That's not it. And if you think about it, two people in those types of situations, it happens a lot in family. Uh, If they just go, if you just if you just because I was considering this, I got to be honest, I I don't know that I'm going to do it because I don't I can't tell if it's me doing slipping back into the old version of myself. But with, you know my mom, we don't get along and we don't talk. And so I, you know, and we're both at odds with each other. And there's things that I don't understand from her end. And there's a lot of things I'm very well aware of that she does not fucking understand on her end about me. And so I'm like, you know, I I really do see a world where I can just, what, what would happen? And this is, we got to entertain these situations in your head, you know, don't just cut yourself off from like a possibility, right? Because if you're just imagining it and thinking how it would go, that doesn't mean it happens. That just means you're trying it on for size. You know, when you go to the store to buy clothes, usually you try them on unless you're like me and you hate stores because they give you anxiety. So you just fucking buy it. And then you're like, I'll return it. And then it doesn't fit. And you're like, oh, I'm too lazy to return it. And then you donate it. And then you're like, well, that was a waste. But anyway, um, there I could see a reality where I would just I go up to my mom and go and without any defensiveness, without any defensiveness and without any buts and without any explanation, just go, I'm so sorry for what I've done that has hurt you. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I love you. Kind of feel like that could fix the relationship, but she has more to apologize than I do. So it's her balls in her court, lady. Guys, thank you so much for being here for the voices in our heads. Um, I was honored to be the voice in your head for the last, how many minutes? 53? About an hour. Ah, damn. Okay. Hour and two minutes. Fuck. I didn't do it. Ah, I was so into the apologizing. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Um, sign up for my Patreon, patreon.com slash Christina Hutchinson, where four days out of the month, I host group therapy over Zoom. I call it therapy because I'm not a licensed therapist. But goddamn, do I know about books that are very helpful. And I've read a lot of them. And I've wanted to die for a lot of my a lot of my life. And now I don't. So I feel like being on the other side of it, I got some wisdom to offer and some humor to inject, which is really important when you feel sad. And uh, yeah, you could sign up. Uh, I, I'm redoing. I'm actually redoing the Patreon now, which is like really exciting. And uh, it's more expensive. It's more than five bucks. But there is a five dollar a month option where you could just listen to all the recordings because uh, that that Zoom audio gets uploaded to the Patreon. So you can listen to it after. And uh, 
there's one day, one of the four monthly sessions is going to be at a guaranteed date and time every time, unless like the world collapses. Uh, the first Tuesday of the month at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The the, re- the remaining three are going to be scattered to accommodate people's, you know, uh, my my schedule, your schedule, time zone difference, all that stuff. Christina Hutchinson, patreon.com slash Christina Hutchinson. Follow me at Christina Hutch and have a blessed day. <laughs> <laughs>